everyone. Welcome back to the Queen of Calm podcast. I'm your host, Paisley Haddad. So I'm so excited to jump into today's episode. We have a lot of exciting things to talk about. But before we get started with the episode, I just want to remind everyone that if you're not following us already on social media, follow us at Queen of Calm podcast on Instagram and at Queen of Calm pod on Twitter. There I post all of my upcoming guest announcements. I post clips from the episodes and much more. So be sure to follow us on there. And if you're feeling generous and you're enjoying the podcast, be sure to head to Apple Podcasts and Spotify to leave us a five-star review. It's truly appreciated. And if you are wanting to be on the Queen of Calm podcast, be sure to leave us a voicemail by heading to the link in our Instagram bio or to anchor.fm slash podcast slash message. And you could be on the Queen of Calm podcast with a question a comment or a topic you want answered, anything in that vein, I'll be sure to answer it or one of my guests will answer it on the show. So talking more about industry insights, last week I shared about my Gen Z and communication survey and I'm so thankful to everyone who's taken part in the survey so far. I've gotten such great responses and I think it's a true testament to you know what our generation is going through right now in the workplace because people have been so honest. I've gotten so many great insights so far. So if you're interested in joining us on the survey, be sure to head to the link in our Instagram bio. It's available on my LinkedIn, Paisley Haddad, as well as our Instagram stories. I'll post it with the link there. And I think it's going to be a really great representation of our generation in the workplace because times are changing, as they say, because we have so many unique, you know, considerations as a generation now as we join the workforce and as, you know, this generation graduates and all that, because you know, we have so many more opportunities than a lot of professionals had years ago, early on in their careers. We've had so much more access to digital resources and, you know, we're true experts on social media and these different digital platforms. And also like just our generation is more outspoken, you know, because of the pandemic, we have so many more different considerations. And so I think it's so important to be, you know, having these conversations about how we can help our generation in the workforce. And my goal as a member of Gen Z and also host and creator of this podcast is to give a voice to those Gen Z professionals. And so I'm so grateful that I'm able to have this platform and to bring everyone together with their opinions and their concerns. So please consider taking part in our survey And like I said, it's at the link in our Instagram bio, as well as many different places. And it'll be available on our Instagram story. So be sure to tune in there and give us your opinions. It will be truly appreciated. Um, I think this is going to be a great project for the podcast and for everyone as well. Um, But as for this week's Industry Insights, I first want to talk about the new Glossier and Olivia Rodrigo collab. I think this is so smart. I do want to talk about the Revolve Fest, as I said in my episode description. I'll get to that in a minute. But just as I'm um, you know, doing this today, it came out earlier today in Vogue all about this collaboration. I just think it's so smart because, you know, Glossier really is the brand of, you know, the younger Gen Z, you know, uh, members who are really into that kind of light makeup. You know, you can build it up build it down and I think that's what Olivia Rodrigo is all about too you know she experiments with her music and the clothes she wears and that's why people look up to her and so I thought that is such a smart you know campaign to be doing and the way she explained it of how like your style should evolve you know as you grow older and how you can do that with makeup you can have a winged liner you can't you can try a darker lip shade you can do a lighter lip shade I just thought was so clever and although the collection has not come out yet um, just from seeing the teasers, I'm already I already know it's going to be impeccable. So hats off to the uh, Glossier team for putting this campaign together. I can't wait to see more. 
But getting back to the Revolve Fest. So I'm sure you all have seen all of the TikToks this past weekend and weeks before leading up all about Coachella this year. And I find it so interesting as a communications professional to see how branded the event has really become. Because when it first came out, you know, I don't recall really seeing all of those Instagram posts and influencers, you know, benefit of the doubt, influencers weren't as big when Coachella was first coming about. But still, I remember when it was all about, you know, celebrities and getting those, you know, paparazzi pictures and what they were doing. It wasn't really about these branded booths as much. But now I feel like there's so many, you know, Coachella parties hosted by brands like the HBO Max, the flight attendant party or, you know, something with H&M and, you know, sending influencers on the trip and Revolve Fest, which they've done in the past, you know, as a brand who really has owned that influencer space in terms of trips and gifting and, you know, campaigns. They really showed that they really don't have as much of a finger on the pulse of the influencer landscape as they think. That's just my opinion, because, you know, from hearing the behind the scenes of how they sent the invite out to, you know, thousands of influencers of all different, you know, followings and then to not treat them all equal to, you know, have VIP staying in a hotel, have comp meals, you know, comp transportation, but then to have some, you know, at this site where the buses weren't working and they weren't coming and then to not know the influencers would show their, you know, discussed with the situation on social media i mean i've seen so many videos talking about the situation so i'm sure there's a crisis team onto this (laughs) but then to you know have to clean up all that just because of a few errors that were made in the process and then now i feel like a can of worms has kind of been opened up because you know you hear from these influencers who are now saying that they work with revolve before and there have been problems for years with these influencer trips that seem so extravagant And, you know, they've had discrepancies in, you know, sizes of the, you know, followings of the influencers. People feel left out because they're not treated as well as the VIPs, in quotes. And I just think it's going to be like a downward spiral for Revolve. I just that's just my opinion, because, you know, once you hit that point of, you know, not being transparent and kind of having that deceptive practices in terms of like influencers, you know, audiences who are purchasing Revolve product, but also the influencers will notice this. And there are brands that are so up and coming that are fashion brands that, you know, cater to a wider audience. You know, they really appreciate their influencers. And so I just think this is going to be having a bad effect on, you know, their influencer marketing, their social media. And I haven't been following their social media or their response as closely um, just because I was never like a Revolve fan. I've never, you know, purchased from them. But I'm curious to see what they'll do about the situation because, you know, it kind of seemed like things were swept under the rug. You know, day two, they kind of fix things, turn things around. But I think they really need to make a statement or they need to do something to kind of turn this all around. So I'm so curious as to what they'll be doing. So my listener question of the week to all of you is, what do you think that Revolve should do to fix this PR crisis as a brand that is so big in the influencer space? So be sure to head to our Instagram stories. I'll be putting the question box and you can let me know your thoughts. But one last thing I want to talk about as well is that I was watching all the coverage of the Emily in Paris cast at Paley Fest. I think it was last week or the week before. And I am so excited for season three and season four. I'm excited that they were picked up for both. And as I said in my episode all about my 2022 goals, uh, it's a mission of mine to be on the PR list for Emily in Paris season three. I want to do content for them, even though I'm not an influencer and I don't claim to be. 
I want to do content for them. I want to get the PR package because I'm do I'm basically doing it for free already. I did like a season two recap. I do all the social media stuff and I love this show. I think it fits in so well with my branding with the Queen of Calm because, you know, the show is all about a young woman and communications and her life and all that and the bright colors. So Netflix or the Emily in Paris team, if you're listening to this, put me on the PR list and everyone tag Netflix. <laughs> I'm kidding, but I'm not kidding. So I'm going to keep mentioning that on every episode and manifest it. And hopefully it'll happen because I know they're preparing for season three right now. I know they just said that Lucien, I think that's how you pronounce his first name, is going to be a season three regular. So I'm hoping that I'll be on the PR list. Maybe not. I don't know. But we'll see. I'm just going to put it out into the universe. But as for today's episode, I'm so excited for you to hear from my guest. She is a very experienced professional in entertainment publicity, working with huge brands and huge celebrities. And she also is going to talk about how she's a blogger and that transition from, you know, brands when bloggers were first coming out, how they were like the real first influencers, and now how that transition's been into the influencer marketing space, which I think is so interesting and relevant to what we're just talking about with Revolve Fest. And I just think it's such an informative episode. So be sure to stay tuned for the interview. My next guest is an experienced public relations executive with experience representing clients across the entertainment, lifestyle, and tech industries. She is the founder of her own PR and social media consultancy and has worked with some amazing brands and clients. Please welcome AJ Fewerman to the podcast. Welcome, AJ. So glad to have you on the show today. Hello. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you for having me. So I feel like my introduction didn't do you justice, but we'll get into your experiences later on. Um, but first, I want to talk about how you first got interested in communications. Yeah, I mean, I wish my answer was a little sexier, but basically, <laughs> um, I'll give you the shortest version I can. I went to film school, um, decided, you know, pretty much the day after I graduated that I was not up for a lifetime of risk and rejection. So I you know, more or less after 9-11, I came back to Los Angeles, which is where I'm originally from. I had been in New York. Um, and I, I worked for a few years just, you know, here and there, uh, eventually ending up going to graduate school because I didn't know what else to do. And I love to learn. And I picked communications because it was broad and figured I would find something within that that I was into. Um, I knew I liked writing. I knew I was a people person. Um, my very first class in 2006 in graduate school, uh, was about social media, basically, even though it wasn't called that in 2006, we didn't really use the term social media yet. And I really liked that class. I really liked the teachers and I don't know, it just kind of spiraled from there. I liked social media. I liked, you know, the idea of managing images as kind of a brand and, um, it just manifested into like a, a interest in public relations. So that's why I chose it just kind of by happenstance. Well, yeah. that's so, that's so cool that you went to film school and found your passion through that way. I feel like every time I ask this question to my guest, everyone has such a unique answer to how they get involved. Yeah. yeah and I, I have no regrets. I mean, that's not to say I didn't love film school. Um, I feel like everything I have done in my whole life has kind of led me to where I am now. So regretting anything would be pointless. Um, you know, I got to go to NYU. I got to go to the one of the best film schools in the country. And, and I learned an absolute ton and I still work in that industry. So I definitely still apply things that I've learned at film school every day in my current career. So, you know, um, it was kind of a roundabout way to get here, but I got here eventually. 
Yeah. And so you talked about attending NYU. And so I know you just touched on this a bit, but, you know, how did your time in college shape um, your career to where it is today? Well, I grew up in Los Angeles um, or Hollywood, so to speak. So I think everyone who grows up here has a little bit more exposure to the industry at large than like a, you know, let's say like somebody in Dallas or Omaha, Nebraska, right? Um, and so I think my my love of all things TV, film, theater um, was maybe exacerbated by the fact that I grew up here and then went to college in New York where it's it's also very prevalent. So, you know, I think all of that was an influence. Um, the fact that I, I did a lot of theater even before that high school um, theater and college theater. Um, I always had extremely supportive family who let me try just about anything that came into my head. And some of it was weird stuff, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, that all kind of led me and influenced my decision. Um, like I said before, I've always loved to write. I'm always, I've always been a pretty creative person. So there was never a question that I would, whether or not I'd work in like some kind of creative industry, it was just a matter of which way. Um, so yeah. Yeah. And so post-graduation, I know you said that you were in grad school. How did that um, pan out to your career today? And what were your career experiences like? Well, literally speaking, I mean, working, going to USC for graduate school was pretty much directly responsible for my PR career beginning because um, I attended this workshop they hosted called Careers in Entertainment it was on a Saturday. Um, you know, we all got kind of like this mini lecture beforehand that said, this is not a day to look for a job. We're just there to learn from these prestigious alumni that are coming back and talking to us. And it was, you know, it was people who had gone through the same program I was going through and they had gone on to very successful careers in the entertainment industry. I remember one guy was like an agent at William Morris. Uh, one was, you know, pretty high up at a broadcast TV network. Um, and then I went and listened to a, a speech from this woman who was the head of corporate PR for a cable network. And uh, she said at the end of her lecture uh, that she was looking for an assistant. And I thought, well, they told us not to ask for jobs on this day, but since <laughs> she mentioned it, and I was the type of nerd who had her resume in her backpack. So I just went up to her and I said, hey, you know, I, I heard you say you're looking for an assistant and um, I happen to have my resume on me. Would you like to take it with you? And she said, sure. And like I said, that was a Saturday. Uh, as luck would have it, I lived about five minutes from her office at the time. So I popped in on Monday for an interview and on Tuesday, she offered me the job. Um, it literally happened that fast. Uh, so, you know, a lot of people say like without my college education, I wouldn't have been able to do X, Y, and Z, but I literally would not have found this job <laughs> if I had not been a student at USC and attended this USC workshop. So it's kind of crazy how directly responsible um, my graduate school education was for my career beginning um, in that way. Yeah, that's so cool. And yeah, those, um, you know, alumni connections are so important for, you know, any yeah. type of job or internship. And so listeners, if you're listening, make sure to utilize all those connections you can while in school. Yeah. And I would also say this is something I kind of learned the hard way is, at least in entertainment, I think, um, you know, I went to NYU and the the alumni support for that school is 
there's some of it in LA, but it's much stronger in New York and on the East Coast in general. So when I got out of school there, what I unfortunately found um, in coming back to Los Angeles is that there weren't, there wasn't really an alumni network to depend on. Uh, so when I did decide I wanted to go to graduate school, I mean, partially because I lived here and didn't want to move again, but also because I wanted to live where my alumni network was the strongest, I decided to go to graduate school in Los Angeles. And that was immensely helpful. So, and I think that um, the CEO of the first company I worked for, his daughter was actually at NYU. And he said, do you have any advice I should give her? And I said, go to, go to school where you want to work. Like, if you want to work on the East Coast, go to NYU, go to Columbia or a Boston school. If you want to work in Hollywood in Los Angeles, I would go to UCLA or USC or um, AFI or, you know, or Chapman or one of the schools out this way with strong alumni support. And, and just a caveat to that, there are schools back East, like Emerson has a campus here in Los Angeles. And so there are, there are exceptions to that rule, but generally speaking, I would say, you know, get your education and your internships where you eventually want to end up. Oh yeah, definitely. I feel like so many people from my class, I went to school in Poughkeepsie, New York, which is like oh. an hour and a half away from the city. And I feel like yeah. so many of my classmates work in New York city. So I have those New York city connections for the yeah. future. Um, yeah. and so I was looking at your portfolio on your website and you have such amazing experiences. You work with such incredible brands and people. So I want to talk a bit about those experiences and what is sure. your day-to-day -day like in entertainment PR? Oh goodness. Um, <laughs> what is my day-to-day? -day? Well, I think the one thing I can say with absolute certainty is that my day is never the same as the one before. Um, but, you know, just kind of like in the broad sense, it's engaging with my clients, making sure their needs are being met, making sure I'm managing their expectations reasonably. I think that's a big part of any publicist job. Um, and then, you know, uh, depending on which clients I'm working with, make sure that I'm also engaging with press and getting their stories told. Um, yeah, I mean, and then like, you know, once or twice a week, sometimes my job involves, you know, power lunches or business dinners or coffees, um, which, you know, I couldn't do for like a year and a half, but now we're <laughs> opening back up again. So I can, you know, at least fist bump some people. Um, so yeah, I mean, that, no day is the same as the day before. Also, especially because I work for myself and make my own hours, you know, some days, if I'm super busy, my day doesn't end until eight or 10 at night. Sometimes it ends at five or six. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, and, and I don't mind that. I work, I work for myself. I live alone. Uh, I have a dog. I call him my intern. So, <laughs> so I have that flexibility. Also, if I need to go to the doctor in the middle of the day, I, I have, you know, I have every opportunity to do stuff like that. If I worked in-house at a company, I might not. So anyway, anyway, yeah, yeah, very flexible. Um, and I like that about publicity, that there is no day that's the same as the one before it. So keeps it interesting, keeps me on my toes. Yes, very exciting. And so has there been any projects throughout your career that you can pinpoint as some of your favorites that you've worked on that you found really rewarding or exciting? Um. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think, you know, there's been quite a few, that, even though I work on independent films, which doesn't sound as fancy, uh, I've definitely had an opportunity to work with some really cool actors and actresses and filmmakers. 
Um, it's also really fun. Like for example, I worked on an independent film with Chris Evans in 2011 called Puncture. Uh, he was, he had, I think, and you, I'd have to fact check this, but I think the first Captain America had like just come out. And I don't think he was, I mean, he was known, but I don't think he had, you know, eclipsed his, I don't think his fame had risen as much as it has now, for example. So it was cool to work with like someone like that to work with them early on in their career. Um, you know, there's another actress named Liana Liberato. I have worked with her just coincidentally. I've worked on, I think five or six films she's been in over the years. So seeing someone like that grow up through the industry has been really cool. Um, my favorite films tend to be documentaries because I personally just love documentaries. So, you know, I worked on, um, I got to work on a documentary called For the Love of Spock about Leonard Nimoy, which was super cool for me as a lifelong Star Trek fan. Uh, <laughs> that was just crazy fun. Um, I got to work on a documentary called All Things Must Pass about the rise and fall of Tower Records. And if you're young and you don't know what Tower Records is, you should Google it. Um, but the director of that documentary was Colin Hanks, who is just one of the nicest guys I've ever had the pleasure of working with. So, you know, it's, it's fun because he was a nice guy, but it was also a really fun subject matter that exposed the film to a lot of opportunities. Um, I got to meet the founder of Tower Records. Uh, we had an unbelievable premiere party for that film. So that's definitely definitely one of my all-time favorite projects. Well, those all sound super cool. And I'm so fascinated by entertainment PR. Um, I did an internship with Fox Entertainment while I was in college oh, cool. on the publicity department. So I definitely get to see firsthand that difference between the traditional PR and publicity. So I wanted to get your take on how those differ when working with talent, because I know it can differ, you know, whether you're working with, you know, traditional agency clients versus talent on how the PR strategy plays out. So you know, can you explain to listeners how that kind of changes once you add in the talent aspect? Well, yeah. You mean like working on like just a movie versus representing a person? Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, like doing like press opportunities rather than like a long-term PR, you know, plan for a client or like a business. Sure. I mean, I don't like currently, I'm not really representing any long-term clients. Most of my clients are films. Um, so my campaigns tend to be like anywhere from a month to six months, just depending on the budget and the retainer and, and so forth. Um, you know, a film campaign is premiering a trailer and getting listed in any kind of calendars and getting the cast and filmmakers interviewed and then getting the critics to review the movie. And, and if there's a red carpet or a premiere of some kind, managing that component, um, and, you know, sometimes there's like additional events or stunts or things of that nature, but with independent film, it's very few and far between because budgets are more prohibitive. Um, when you represent an individual, uh, for example, and that tends to be more long-term, usually if you're like a somewhat famous or super famous actor or actress, you work with a publicist on a kind of permanent retainer until you, like, let's say you might not be very busy, you can go on a hiatus with them. But, um, you know, that's, that's, that's slightly different in the sense that like, so for example, when I work on a movie, I am, and there's actors in it that I want interviewed, I do have to interface with their personal publicists and, 
get the outlets approved, make sure it's someone that they're okay with their clients speaking to, navigating their schedule with the press's schedule. Um, so when you're a personal publicist, you're doing all that on the other side. And, you know, I think there's also a fair amount of other things that come into play, like helping them find, you know, a designer to get them into something for a red carpet, um, you know, scheduling their hair and makeup before they appear on a talk show, um, having their car services arranged. There's a lot of that kind of like, I don't want to say administrative, but there's that kind of work involved, like taking care of them personally. Um, God forbid someone ends up in some kind of controversy or scandal. It's, you know, mitigating that situation. Um, it's one of the reasons I don't like to do personal PR long-term because <laughs> I don't want to have to do PR for someone when they're in trouble. Like my heart breaks and I can't, <laughs> I, don't have, I don't have the stomach for it. And then I also just get like mad. I get very attached to my clients and I get mad when people come after them. So, um, yeah. So I think, you know, those are some differences there. Um, you know, I have done a couple like corporate clients, like businesses, um, and, and business differs. Like, are you a business who's trying to appeal to consumers, which is what we call B2C, or are you a business that's trying to network with other businesses, which would be B2B, business to business? Um, and that, that tends to be a little more strategic, a little more fiscally influenced um, in some cases. Um, yeah, I mean, and like at the very heart of every PR, any kind of PR is who are you trying to appeal to and where do those people live? Do they live on, and I don't mean like physically, where do they live? I mean, do they consume Entertainment Weekly or do they consume the Wall Street Journal? So it's just like figuring out who your customer base is figuring out where they digest or ingest their content and trying to get your client into those places. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Everything you shared was so interesting because I just, I find that fascinating how, you know, we're all in PR, but there's so many different, you know, moving parts in all these different industries, especially with, you know, entertainment and and B2B and B2C. Um, And something quick to kind of going off your experience I saw as well is that you said you work with uh, Crown Media And so this is something that I always think of when I'm watching Hallmark for those PR campaigns, are they per movie or do you do like a, you know, overall campaign? Yeah. So that was when I mentioned that the first job I had in PR was the cable network that is crown media networks. It was Hallmark channel and Hallmark movie channel. Um, They're much bigger now than they even were then. And back then I thought we were pretty big Um, and they're changing a lot, which is fantastic to watch especially as a former employee, they've made a lot of, they've, they've put a lot more diversity and I think that'll keep going. Anyway, um, yeah, I mean, it is, it is kind of per movie. Um, it is also, um, you know, uh, Christmas at Hallmark Channel starts in like July. Like <laughs> in the office, we were planning countdown to Christmas in July and August and September. So that when, by the time Christmas actually rolls around, you're like, ugh. and then, you know, in December, you're already planning for Valentine's day. And cause they, they do a lot of, it's, a, it's a network. So there's a lot of uh, preemptive promotion happening. You have to have the promos running on the network. And, um, and look, it, even when I was there, we were doing you know, the weakest, the, the year is 52 weeks long. I think we were aiming to put out 
25 films a year. Um, now they've, they've increased their volume exponentially. I think it's something like 100 films a year. I mean, I know during Christmas, they're premiering films like crazy. So I can't even imagine. I mean, I got to believe their publicity team has grown. When I was there, there were like seven of us. Now there must be like 20. I have no idea. Uh, but yeah, it's an insane amount of long lead planning. Um, yeah, and especially because, by the way, you know, I remember even when I started there as an assistant, we would have to go through all the outlets and find their editorial calendars so that we knew when they were starting to pop, to plan their Christmas publications. You know, sometimes that would mean speaking to them in September or October and and telling them what was on our plate so that they would plan for it themselves. So yeah, it's, it's a crazy process. It's it's incredibly it's incredibly insane to be talking about Christmas in July for four <laughs> years of your life. Um, it even like, even after I stopped working there, it took me like a couple more years before I could get myself back into like a, a normal holiday spirit sense <laughs> because I was, I was so used to just living that life for half a year. Um, and I was almost not that I'm ever happy to lose a job or leave a job, but it was almost like relief. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's so hard for me to watch Hallmark and not have my PR hat on because I'm always wondering like, oh my God, like I see the actors post on social media. Like I talked to TV line this week and I did this interview and I'm like, that must be so much to keep track of at all times. For sure. And and like I said, they have a much bigger team and I'm sure, you know, just based on my knowledge of how PR in the entertainment industry works in general, I'm sure it's a matter of somebody kind of project managing the whole thing and putting a different publicist on different movies so that someone is dedicated to at least one movie. Um, You know, the exciting thing that's happened for them is they even get like a hot, they get higher profile actors now as well, because it's become, become a little bit more um, youthful. The channels become a little more youthful Uh, back in the day when I was there, which was like 2010, um, we were appealing to a much more, not elder senior demographic and older like boomers and and seniors and um a lot of our talent was um you know people who had kind of drifted into the the rear view of celebrity and and were just kind of coming back so so they probably are just infinitely busier than I ever was working there well, that's super interesting. And something yeah. I wanted to ask you about too was, so I know you're a blogger as well and that you've worked on some blogger campaigns. And so from your point of view, having that experience being a blogger yourself and, you know, working on those campaigns, what has that transition been like in the industry from bloggers to influencers being, you know, the it people to go to for publicity? Yeah, um, that's a good question. Uh, yeah, back in the day when I was a much more popular blogger, I think I had something like 40,000 readers with my first blog. And that was really fun. Um, now my only blog is like, you know, once every couple months when I remember to, to write something. Uh, I think it's interesting, right? Like way back in the day, it was, you know, you'd go to a blogger and say, hey, I will give you this free product or this cool experience if you will write about it. And that was enough. Um, what has, you know, happened with the passage of time is that these bloggers have become what we now typically call influencers and they are literally influential uh, people are, I don't know what the exact data is, but I think we have generally found that consumers are more likely 
to purchase an item if an influencer they follow endorses it, right? That's why people pay Kim Kardashian, you know, six figures to talk about their cool sculpting product or whatever it is they're pushing this week. So I think that the, the, the other thing that happened is influencers themselves as people realize that when done correctly and done well, they can make a full-time living doing this, right? So influencer is literally a job now. Uh, I think that you can put it on a lot of forms. And I think that you'll probably come across a lot of like high school students who, when you say, what do you want to be when you grow up? And some of them will say influencers, right? So I think that that's, that's where we are now. And I think that they command a lot of money. And I think depending on what your product is or what you're trying to sell, I think sometimes they're, they're really worth it. I think sometimes they charge too much. I think sometimes people misjudge their worth for their particular product or brand. But I do think, I do think it's, it's there. It's a thing. It's going to be around for a while. I don't think they're going anywhere. Um, but I do think that like people like me and my peers, I think we need to make sure that we are doing our due diligence to make sure that we're working with the right ones for the right product. Um, also making sure that they get paid appropriately and that they are holding up their end of the bargain. Cause you know, unfortunately there are a lot of influencers who will commit to doing X, Y, and Z, and then they'll only do X and Y and still expect to be paid. Right. So um, like I said, half of our job is managing expectations and, and managing. And when it comes to influencers, that couldn't be more true. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And um, I was talking to another guest as well. We were talking about influencers and we we're saying that it's all about being targeted, you know, nowadays, because, you know, I think when influencers kind of made that transition to social media, everything was so exciting for these brands and they wanted to send out so much product. And, you know, now people are kind of seeing behind the curtain and, you know, I follow this person for this type yeah. of content. And so it's all about being, you know, so intentional in your, you know, PR tactics. Yeah. And I think also, you know, there is this whole subgenre of influencers, what we typically call a niche influencer. So like, for example, I have an Instagram account. Uh, it's called Hollywood Brunch, all one word, if you want to follow it. Um, and, and literally all I do is post pictures of brunch. It started as kind of a, an inside joke because I always was going to brunch and my friends were always asking me for recommendations. And now I have 6,500 followers and people DM me for brunch recommendations. And it has not turned into like a financially lucrative venture, which was never my intent anyway. But every now and then a restaurant will invite me in and say, hey, would you, if we give you a free brunch, will you post some pictures? So, you know, and I think that even that it carries more value than going to someone who's got 3 million followers and asking them to say like, go to this place because they'll endorse anything for a buck. I think going to someone who's more niche and like solely covers restaurants and has a much more trusted voice in that space, whether it's me or somebody else, I think that that carries maybe more value than going to the 3 million follower page, right? So I like, I like working with niche influencers the most. I think they carry the most value. Oh yeah. And that's so awesome. I'll have to go follow you after this. Please do. <laughs> I do love a brunch. <laughs> um, and yeah, so I also wanted to ask you too, because this, my show is all about advice for college students and recent sure. grads. So I wanted to ask your advice for any college students out there and people who just graduated maybe this past, you know, uh, December or even are going to be graduating in the spring, you know, what they should know before entering the entertainment PR industry. 
Good question. Um, so I have a reputation, especially with students, because I do a fair amount of guest lecturing um, for being really honest and saying a lot of things out loud that some people won't say. So I'm going to do that now. Um, I would say expect to earn garbage when you're first starting out. Your salary is going to be crap because they're <laughs> going to take taxes out of it. They're going to take your benefits out of it. And just when you think you're making a lot of money, you get that paycheck and you're like, ugh. So I always tell people, don't be ashamed of living with your parents longer than you thought. Um, save your money. Um, a lot of people want to work in this industry and only a select amount get that privilege. So don't take that for granted and understand that you're going to have to earn your way. You're going to have to climb up that ladder and it's going to suck sometimes. Um, I will say, stand up for yourself. Um, don't let people treat you like garbage. You are a smart person and you got your job because you were qualified for it. Um, I think presently we have a more, we have more opportunity to stand up for ourselves than we used to. You used to have to kind of take it and smile. Uh, I think nowadays it's a little more acceptable to stand up for yourself, especially if you're a woman. Um, and then I would also say, you know, unfortunately, uh, you might have the best education on the planet. You might have a master's degree from Harvard and two bachelor's degrees from Yale and a certificate from UCLA. But at the end of the day, at least in the entertainment industry, a lot of it is about who you know. Um, so I would also encourage everyone to intern. Um, make sure you're being paid appropriately as an intern. But I would encourage you to intern. I would encourage you to join business networks and go to cocktail parties for young professionals. And if your alumni network has something going on, sign up for it. Um, but yeah, do a lot of schmoozing. Um, before you get into the industry and as you are in the industry working your way up, like schmoozing, it's it sucks, but <laughs> it's also very fun if you if you are the type of person who enjoys people like I do, it's fun to do that stuff. It's good for you. It's it's and I would also say take any interview offer to you, even if you don't want the job, use it as a practice, use it as an audition to like. Like what stand-up comedians do, you know, Jerry Seinfeld has a special coming. So he goes to the smaller clubs to test out his material. So you get an offer to interview for a job you don't necessarily want. They don't have to know that. Go in there and try out some answers, see how they respond to it. And hey, maybe you'll get an offer and it might be something you're interested in anyway. So um, those are those are my tidbits of wisdom. Uh, yeah, I also, you know, look, I, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Twitter. Um, I have no problem if anyone wants to ask me for advice on there, hit me up. I, I usually answer. I'm pretty good about it. I like to pay it forward. So by all means. Well, thank you yeah. so much for sharing that advice. Those were a bunch of great tips. And yeah, definitely. I can attest to everything you said, especially the part where you were saying, you know, don't be afraid to live at home. I mean, I'm five months into my first job out of college. I still live at home. It's a great chance to save money. And, you know, I still love living with my parents and everything. Um, and yeah. yeah the networking aspect as well. I mean, like doing this podcast, I bet so many great people like yourself who are willing to sit down and chat. And I feel like so many people in the industry are willing to, you know, lend their time, like you were saying, connect on LinkedIn or send a message. You know, everyone yeah. has so many different, you know, experiences and advice to share. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, 
I, I was in such a hurry to get out of my parents' house. And, and at one point, I can't remember exactly how old I was, but I kind of like, I went over to their house and I sat them both down and I said, can I move back in? And my father was like, no, <laughs> he's, like, he's like, we finally got rid of you. No, <laughs> I don't know. like, you know, I think it was more of like, you know, you've got to, you've got to make this work. I was having a moment of like, oh, this is so hard. Um, and he was doing me a favor, but I always joke that I was in such a rush. Why was I in such a rush? You know? <laughs> so anyway. And so for those recent grads who maybe just have got recently gotten a job and have started in the industry, it can maybe, maybe be intimidated sometimes to start your Rolodex of people. You know, I know that's an antiquated term yeah, now. Do people know what Rolodexes are? Like if I <laughs> asked a 19 year old, do you think they'd know what a Rolodex is? This is my Rolodex, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, building that Rolodex and building those connections with journalists and media, especially, you know, now because it's kind of like a semi-virtual world because of COVID. So what's your advice for starting to build those connections with media? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's always been really easy for me. I'm a people person and, um, I love new people. I get excited about meeting new people, uh, follow them on Twitter, follow them on Facebook or add them as friends on Facebook, add them on LinkedIn. Um, when I, for, I don't, I don't do this so much anymore, but you know, one thing I kind of did in the beginning is I learned when people's birthdays were, I learned when people's anniversaries were, um, I became friends with them on Facebook and I knew which teams they rooted for just, you know, learning stuff like that, trying to become intimate with them on a more personal level is extremely helpful. Um, that stuff gets noticed. Uh, I also, I was really lucky, um, in a couple jobs to have a, a budget that allowed me to take people out for lunches, um, you know, look, anytime you offer to buy someone a meal, they're much more inclined to meet up with you. So I would take people to coffee or lunches or sushi or, you know, whatever sold it, you know, get to know them. And you don't have to talk about business the whole time. Um, there used to be a really great guy at, at Variety uh, named Dave McNary, who recently passed away, um, but really wonderful reporter one of the veterans of the business. And he was one of the first guys who I took out to lunch. And um, we barely talked about business. We talked about his dogs and we talked about the San Francisco Giants of which he was a huge fan of. And we talked about living in New York versus living in LA. And, and at the very end of the lunch, he said, he's like, you know, I know you're a little newer to, to this part of the business. And if there's anything I can do, please feel free to to hit me up. And, and for years and years, he became my go-to guy at Variety and I would get stuff published by him all the time. And so I was very grateful for that. He kind of put a hand out to me. Um, so stuff like that, you know, like I said, schmoozing. <laughs> well, yeah, I love that story you just shared that that's such a great example of, you know, building those connections. And, you know, I've been seeing so many tweets lately, I feel like journalists are taking to Twitter to share like their, their insights on the PR people that they work with. And a lot of them have been talking about those personal connections. And I love following journalists on Twitter and social media. So um, thank you for so much for sharing those tips. Um, but for my final question for you, so this is something that I asked to all my guests. And it's in, it's in inspiration to Sophia Amoruso, who kind of coined this term of girl boss and has built yeah. an empire on that. Um, so I love to end the episode with a woman who inspires you or multiple. It can be more than one because we've had that before. But AJ, who is your favorite girl boss? 
Oh, God, the pressure. Um, <laughs> let me put my iced tea down. Um, I mean, I guess it's kind of corny, but my first, the first person who comes into my mind is my mom, who uh, is, I don't know if you would call her a girl boss per se, um, but, you know, she's a badass woman who um, achieved a lot in her life, despite, you know, she grew up in a time where women weren't necessarily expected to go to college or anything of that nature. She married my dad um, at a particularly young age and, and, you know, but like still managed to go on to have like a almost 30 year career in education. It was just like such a badass. I mean, my, my brother and I also like, we had a mom, like, despite, you know, she worked and, and was always busy and volunteering and doing a million things, but like, she was a boss in our house, right? Like my brother and I were always very loved and cared for and had everything we needed. So, you know, I'm, I'm older now and I think I appreciate it more now than I do did when I was, you know, an annoying teenager. But so my mom comes to mind. Um, I would also say uh, Mackenzie Scott, who I actually just learned about <laughs> last week. Do you know who that is? Jeff um, Bezos' ex-wife? Yeah, so she's yeah, Jeff yeah. Bezos' ex-wife. I always knew, like, you know, I saw stuff in the news about their divorce and whatever, but it was all kind of peripheral and I didn't really know too much about her. And then I saw this story just last week about how much money she's been donating to nonprofits and charities. And I love that, look, I know this is going to sound kind of like a little petty, but (laughs) I'm here for petty sometimes. Uh, You know, she divorced Jeff Bezos and got a lot of his money and now she is doing good for the world with it. And I think that is badass. And she is putting money where her mouth is. And, you know, to be totally blunt, it's more than her ex-husband can say from atop his penis rocket, you know, like we all (laughs) saw that thing. Right. So, you know, I just love what she's doing. Um, You know, Bill and Melinda Gates, Melinda Gates does a lot of good for the world. I just, I love women who like are powerful and smart and, you know, know what they want and, and get it in a way that is respectable, but who also put back into the world who give back. I think that that's something I aspire to do. So I love women like that. Um, you know, I also, you're going to be speaking. I know you happen to be speaking to, um, a contact of mine next week. Her name is Marissa Nance. Um, she is a, I mean, she happens, full disclosure, she is my client, but, and I keep telling people, she is just one of the kindest, smartest, um, coolest women I've ever worked with. You want to talk about a girl boss? She (laughs) founded and grew her own company and she is, she is a black woman and she is out there walking the walk and she's advocating for diversity every moment she can. And through what she does, which is media planning and strategy and um, marketing. I mean, she is out there making sure that every audience is reached, not just, you know, white privileged consumers. She is out there getting equality and inclusion. And I think that that is so cool. It's one of the reasons I like working with her. So that was more than one person. I apologize, but I just, I admire a lot of people. I can't help the more the merrier. And yes, your mom and Mackenzie and Melinda and Marissa, which I'm so excited to talk to you next week, um, are all such great examples of girl bosses. 
And I say this in every single episode, but I just love this question because I just feel like it it ends the episode on such a high note. And that's the whole point of my podcast of uplifting the voices of women in communication. So um, thank you so much for sharing them. And thank you so much for being on the show, AJ. This was so great to connect and um, to hear all of your advice and your experiences. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Um, Please stay in touch. And and I look forward to going back and listening to even more of your episodes. I love that you're doing this. I love that you're talking to women. It's great. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Did you enjoy this episode? Head to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. Want to drop us a line? Click the link in our Instagram bio to leave us a voicemail. And who knows, it might even end up on the show. See you next week for more tips and tricks of the trade.